so th- we're going to start a series this week uh, that is really going to ask a question and then we're going to answer a question. Uh, so here's the question that I want us to, uh, to ask this morning. Uh, in fact, the series is entitled, If God, Then Why? If God, Then Why? Here's the first question that I want us to ask this morning. If God is all-powerful and in control, then why does it seem like he's weak and out of control? It's a good question, and I think there's a lot of people that would probably say, well, God, if you're in control of this world, why does it seem like things are so out of control? If you're all-powerful, why, why aren't you going to just rise up here and wipe out the enemy and take care of things, you know? It's a, it's, a, it's a valid question that we need to ask, and we'll, we'll ask some other questions in the weeks to come. But today, uh, let's look at this one. So what in the world is going on today, right? Where is God today in all of the things that are going on? Is he on vacation, yes or no? Has he thrown up his hands in hopeless despair, yes or no? Is he at a loss and trying to figure out what to do? No. Has he been caught off guard by the events of our day? No. Is he scrambling around with what we may think are his limited resources and people trying to fill in the gaps and, and, and plug in holes in hopes that it'll be enough to outlast the evil onslaught? No. Is God hunkering down and crossing his fingers hoping that everything just works out? Has he gotten evil, has evil gotten so out of hand that it has overwhelmed and overtaken God? No. Has God reached his limits of power and ability to stay in control? No. Is Satan winning? No. These are all silly questions, I know. As we hear them being asked out loud, they sound silly because we know that the answer to all these questions is a resounding No. God is not surprised by all that is going on in the world today. He's fully aware of every single detail. Rest assured, his resources are not spread thin. In fact, it's just the opposite. His resources are unlimited. Amen? And he's certainly not on vacation. He is here, moving in our midst. I worship you, I worship you, just like we sung. He is here right now with us, and everywhere we go, He is with us. He's promised to never leave us and to never forsake us. But if we're honest with ourselves, maybe the thought has crossed our mind. At certain times in our life, in certain situations, that some of these concerns might have maybe just a little bit of truth to them. We'd never admit it, because as a Christian... We've always heard, we've always declared, we've always believed that God is in control. Believing and saying out loud anything less would be tantamount to the unpardonable sin. And it would spiral us down into such a hopeless place. Because think about it. I mean, if God isn't all-powerful, and if God isn't in control, then we are the most pitiful and deceived of all people, and we are truly and utterly doomed. So let's unpack this first question today. As we begin this series called, If God, Then Why? If God is all-powerful and if God is in control, then why does it seem like he's weak and out of control? So that's the question. And I want to answer that question by actually asking three more questions and then answering them as well. 
Here's the first question that we're going to ask. How did we get in this mess? The second question that we're going to ask and answer is, what should we do while we're in this mess? And the third question that we're going to ask and answer is, and how are we going to get out of this mess? So first, how do we get in this mess? How many would agree with me when I say that this world is in a mess? And God is not to blame. Let me say it again. This world is in a mess, and God is not to blame. We are to blame. We are to blame. I'll say it again. That's a hard pill to swallow, but the world's mess is not God's fault. It's our fault. You see, God got it all set up perfectly for us in the beginning. If you read in Genesis 1.31, on that sixth day, when he had made everything, including us as man, perfectly... He looked and it says, God saw, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. But unlike animals who behave out of instinct, God didn't make man a puppet, didn't make man a robot, but he gave man the right to choose. We know it as the term free will. We can choose either to obey and serve God, or we can choose to disobey him and walk our own way. Joshua 24, 15 lays out two age-old options that all of us as individuals have had to choose ever since Adam and Eve. Every generation, every person. And here's the options. And he lays it out. Actually, he was saying it to some people that were straying away from the Lord. And he was saying, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this name whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, we can say, well, I'm not serving the Amorites and I'm not living beyond the Euphrates and all that. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. But there's gods today that are just as powerful and just as appealing and just as false as they were back in the days of Joshua. Every generation has a different sort of God to serve. And I can kind of just put it all together into one giant lump. The gods of this world are just whatever they would be. The little g-gods. It could be possessions, it could be fame, it could be relationships, it could be material goods, it could be things that you bow down to, whatever the case may be. But there's only one God, capital G. And as for me and my house, we will serve that God, is what Joshua was saying. It's really an easy choice. There's all of these over here, and then there's the God of all gods, and the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. There's nobody else, there's no other options there. It's either the little gods, all of them over there, or it's the one true God. And Joshua says, you choose this day whom you're going to serve. You see, Adam and Eve introduced sin into the human race. But by their choice to disobey God, and the result has been ever since, chaos throughout the lineage of humanity until this very day. Chaos is not from God. I'll say it again. Chaos, and what the world is experiencing right now, chaos is not from God. Chaos is from Satan. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. Right. Satan destroys and God restores. 
Satan turns things upside down and God puts them right side up again. Satan tears apart and God mends. Satan is confusion and God is peace. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they fell for Satan's lie, sin and chaos were the result. And while it's easy to blame Satan for things, because we can say, oh, that's Satan. The devil made me do it. It's not completely his fault either. Folks, it's mostly ours. Think about it. Satan is only happy to assist us in our rebellion and in our choice to sin. But in the end, it's our choice when we sin. Here's how the progression of things work in that. Sin is rebellion against God. So there's sin, which leads to rebellion. And then rebellion births chaos. Chaos is up is down, black is white, right is wrong. That's chaos. So you have sin that leads to rebellion against God. Then rebellion births chaos. And then chaos births destruction. Destruction is simply the erosion of God's original creation. And finally, destruction results in death. So here it is again. Sin to rebellion to chaos to destruction to death. That's the mess that we're in. And as long as there's no disruption in that rebellious cycle, that rebellious process, sin will always result in death. Always. We read in Romans chapter 1 the progression of rebellion and how God turns those who walk in rebellion over to a debased and depraved and reprobate mind filled with every kind of wickedness. Their choice, not God's. God's response, if you read Romans chapter 1, is to let us go our own way. And God's response to let us go our own way isn't based on his inability to do anything about it. I'll say it again. God's response to let us go our own way is not based on his inability to do anything about it. But in his understanding of how he made us in the first place to choose, he's given us free will. But the fruit of our rebellion today in this world, and we're seeing it, chaos, destruction, death, will not keep God from carrying out His plan for all of mankind. No amount of sin, no amount of rebellion, no amount of chaos is going to keep God from doing what He said He's going to do. Our God is still in control. You keep choosing to walk in rebellion, and God is going to continue to be the all-powerful, Almighty, in control, carrying out His plan, God. God is not weak. God is not out of control. Sin has not turned the world upside. Sin has turned the world upside down. And God is in the process of getting it right side up. He's working to make things right again. You see, Satan's plan is chaos and destruction and death. But God's plan is redemption and restoration and eternal life. So let's get back to our question. If God is all-powerful and in control, then why does it seem like he's weak and out of control? But you see, that question, when we ask it, actually equates God's strength and power with our sin. It's as if saying that our sin and the resulting chaos somehow overcomes God's power and ability to stay in control. Mm -mm. Let's put it another way. Why are we blaming God for this mess that we've made from our own rebellion 
and then somehow assuming that he's not able to overcome it. He is able to overcome it. We got ourselves into this mess by our rebellion with Satan, by the way, greasing the skids all along the way. It started in the garden and continues to this very day. And if we keep rebelling and experiencing the fruit of our rebellion, that chaos, that destruction, that death, it's foolish and short-sighted and completely wrong to assume that God is not in control because our God is still in control. His plan is still unfolding. He's completely unimpeded by man's rebelliousness and Satan's blow-hard posturing. He could care less about Satan. He's already defeated him at the cross. Which leads us then to our next question about this mess we're in. How did we get in this mess? Our rebellion, our sin, our choice. Well, what do we do while we're in this mess, church? What should we do while we're in this mess? Because we're stuck in it. There's nothing... We can't get out of it, right? I mean, we're here. We might as well do something about it that's productive. What is, let's answer this question. What should we do while we're in this mess? I want you to think about four different examples that the Lord gave me in the Bible of people who were also in a mess. What did they do about it? Real quickly, Joseph in the Old Testament, he was thrown in a pit. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. And he was left there to rot. What would you do? I'd say, well, I'm done. Uh, God's forgotten about me. I'm in a mess and there's no way that he can rescue me. There's no, I'm just stuck. That's my lot in life. But what did Joseph do in that mess? We know he stayed focused on trusting in God. He kept his integrity intact. And he kept a good attitude. And eventually, as you read the story, hindsight's always 20-20. We can read these books and say, ah, these stories. Ah, well, that's good for Joseph. But what about us? Joseph was eventually promoted to second in command of not just a small corporation, of the most powerful nation in existence at that time, Egypt. And through that, he was able to save his family, the people of Israel, in the process. And by the way, through that lineage, we're saved through Christ. So thank God that Joseph hung in there and continued to do the right thing. Paul and Silas in the New Testament. They were thrown in jail for preaching about Jesus. They weren't doing anything wrong. But what did they do in that mess while they were there in jail, in that old stinky jail? It wasn't... It wasn't three meals in a nice air-conditioned, you know, room with a soft cot. Those kind of jails back then were in an old mud pit with rats running around, and you better watch your back. They praised God, didn't they? What did they do? They praised God. In the midst of all of that nasty, we did nothing wrong. We were preaching Jesus. Why are we being punished this way? They chose to praise God. They sang songs to Him in the midst of their struggle. And God shook the jailhouse as a result. And God shook the chains off of them. And brought salvation, by the way, to the jailer and his family. Because they made the choice in the midst of their mess to praise God. Daniel in the Old Testament. He made a choice to keep praying to God instead of the gods of man. And he was thrown into the den filled with hungry lions as a punishment. Sure doom. 
But what did Daniel do in that mess? He didn't say, uh oh, I'm going to be lunch for the lions today. This is it. My last day on earth. No. He prayed. He called out to God. And then he trusted God. And what happened, as again we know, he was rescued. And then he was promoted to greater leadership in that secular kingdom as a result. The children of Israel. Finally, let's look at this one. They were faced with certain death as they had a massive body of water in front of them. And the Egyptian chariots racing hot on their, breathing down their neck towards them. But what did Moses do in that mess? I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, oh, Lordy, Lordy, we're in trouble. We're going to die today. But Moses said, uh-uh. He lifted that staff of God. And God parted the seas. And they not only escaped on dry land, but they turned and witnessed the enemies, listen to me, being swallowed up in the sea waves as they crashed down on them. These are four countless, uh, 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 these are four examples in God's Word. And there's many more in God's Word. This is just four of people who found themselves in messes and then their actions while they were in them. So there's four main things that they all had in common. Write these down, please. If you're taking notes, put it in your journal. These are important for us. The first one is they obeyed. They obeyed. No matter the circumstances, no matter the threats, no matter the consequences, no matter what anyone else said or doing or whatever else anyone was doing around them, they made a choice to obey God. The second thing that they did is they trusted. Now, standing up for God when it would be easier to bow to the pressures of the world or our flesh will many times put us in a bad spot. No more than today, than the generation that we're living in. But we've got to know that we can trust God. God can be trusted. Amen? Even when it seems like He's weak and not in control, He is in control. He is all-powerful. He is still in control. Don't doubt God. Trust Him. The third thing that they did is they stood firm. They didn't waver. They held fast. They didn't shrink back. They didn't compromise. They weren't fearful. They planted their feet firmly in their faith and endured the storm of opposition, ridicule, threat, and danger. And the fourth thing they did is they fought. They didn't just stay on the defensive and hold their ground. No. They went on the offensive and took back territory that belonged to them and took new territory. Joseph bloomed where he was planted. Daniel prayed fervently. Moses raised his staff. And Paul and Silas sang songs of praise to God. What must we do in the mess that we find ourselves in in the world today? Well, first, we must walk in obedience to God's powerful, unchanging, life-giving, illuminating word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and it's a light for my path. You know, the world is changing around us. 
It's more chaotic. It's more rebellious. It's more evil than it's ever been before. I believe that we're in the final throes of sin's sway. As Satan launches the grand finale of his demonic fireworks display. But the instructions and the guidance found in his word, in the Holy Bible, will keep us. It will strengthen us. It will guide us to the finish line with him. You know, the Bible is being spoken of in the world today is a truth, but not the truth. The Bible is, is there's an attempt for the Bible to be diminished and to be spoken of as something that can't really be trusted or it's not contemporary, it's not relevant today. A lot of different things are being thrown at us about God's Word, but let me just say again that God's Word is solid and can be countered. And if you were here with me this week listening to the uh, Facebook Live broadcasts, I think it was on Wednesday night, we talked about prophecy. And did you know that all of the 48 plus you can number it however you want to, but roughly about 48 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament came true. Every single one of them. And by the way, all the prophecies that have already been spoken of are being fulfilled. There's still some prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. But here's the thing. I'm confident that God's word is true because these prophecies are there to help me to know that God's word is true. And so I'm going to stand on the prophecies that have already been fulfilled. If no other reason, the 48 or so prophecies about Christ, that many of them he had no control over. He was born in Bethlehem. He didn't choose to be born in Bethlehem. But that the Old Testament said he would be. There's a lot of different things about Jesus that you think, well, he probably just manipulated it. There's a lot of things he couldn't do anything about. He fulfilled every single one of them. It's one in like 117 zeros after it odds that that would happen. In other words, impossible. it's impossible. It's impossible that any other man could fulfill the prophecies about Jesus other than Jesus. So I stand on the prophecies that have been fulfilled and then I take the rest of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, the stuff I don't understand, the stuff I struggle with, and the stuff that I'm still trying to figure out and walk out in my life. I'm going to take it all. Every jot, every tittle, every syllable, every letter, every word. It's all God's word. And here's the thing. If you take even one word out of God's word, then you've, you've compromised the rest of it. So don't even go there. Let God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. A very sure and completely uh, uh, dependable instruction manual for our life and guidance for us. So we must walk in obedience. And we walk in obedience that's really based in, Lord, what does your word say? I'm going to read your word today. And it's going to instruct me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. The second thing we do as we looked at our examples is that we must continue to trust in him. No matter what things look like around us. I know it may seem like that Satan is winning. 
I know it may seem like that what's going on in our, in our government and in, in other governments in the world and the chaos that's going on in the culture and the different sort of compromises that are happening and, and you see a lot of resistance coming up against the church and you see a lot of churches that are just compromising and they're embracing things that are completely opposite of God's word and we, and we feel like that it's getting, it's getting smaller. You know, that safe place is it's, it's like we're in this iceberg, you know, we're like this ice thing, and, uh, this ice sheet and it's getting smaller and there's water all around us and we're kind of hunkering and getting a little closer like, Lord, what's going on? But he's still in control. He's still in control. He's still in control. We need to still trust him no matter what. God is still all powerful. God is still in control and he's still working out his plan. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. How many have a confidence in him today? Then you're blessed. We must stand firm. He continues in verse 8 by saying, Then they will be like a tree that's planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, but to the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. It le its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And it never fails to bear fruit. I want you to just get that, get that word picture. The picture that. Picture this big, beautiful, luscious tree with fruit and green and all that. Just healthy in a dry desert. Not, nothing, nothing out there except there's just a stream. It's right by a stream. And imagine those roots. Because you know those roots are going to go down to where the nourishment is, right? It's not going to go away from it. It's going to go towards it. And, and, and it doesn't matter how dry it is. It doesn't matter how barren it may be. If, as long as those roots are tapped in to the refreshing, life-giving water, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to be strong. The roots are going to grow down deeper. And in fact, the storms are going to strengthen the roots because it's going to make them more stable. The roots just learn to just get down there and grab hold even all the more. We are those trees. And it seems like it's a desert out there. And it seems like that things are, are falling apart. It's a lot of chaos going on. And Satan wants you to look all the way around. All the different... Look here. Look here. Look here. Just stop. Keep your eyes on Christ. Trust in Him. Let the roots grow down deep. Get into His Word. And, and, and maintain and pursue and, and grab hold of a relationship with Him daily, intimately. Because no matter what's going on around us, no matter what storms that you're facing today, you get those roots down in there. And you, you just be nourished by that relationship with Jesus Christ. And no matter what, just trust Him. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. And stand firm. That's what those roots are all about. I'm standing firm. Get those roots down deep, folks. No matter the storm, no matter the drought, no matter the opposition, we stand and we will not be swayed if we get our roots down deep. Amen? And then we must fight. We must fight. Church, our praise is a weapon. Do you hear me today? Our praise is a weapon. When's the last time you've used praise as a weapon? I was talking to someone this week, and there were some words that were being spoken over him that were not of God. And I was just saying, brother, listen. You begin to praise the Lord. Because he inhabits the praise of his people. So when he begins to inhabit that praise that you're giving to him, then he shows up. And how many knows that when he shows up, he's going to be able to speak words into your life. And he's going to counter that junk that's going on that's trying to be just that sewage that's being poured into your life. Say, no, 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 no. I'm going to, Lord, flush it out. Just flush it out. I'm going to praise you and I'm going to let you remind me of what your word says about me. And I'm going to live in that. 
I'm going to live in what He says about me. Who I am in Him. Our praise is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. We must fight in prayer. How many knows that sometimes you've got to lay hold of the Lord of the altar? Sometimes, how many knows you've got to do some spiritual warfare in prayer? It's not just a now I lay me down to sleep sort of time that we're living in. It's time to pray, church, and it's time to intercede, and it's time to do battle on our knees. Prayer is a weapon, and we must fight. God's Word is a weapon. You take God's Word, and it's a powerful sword that slices up the lies of the enemy, and it pierces the darkness. We take God's Word, and we declare it. And it's the authority that we have in the name of Jesus, because God's Word is actually Jesus Himself. He is the Word. So when we're speaking the Word, we're speaking Christ. The blood of Jesus is a weapon. How many knows that the blood of Jesus that was shed for your sins is a powerful weapon that Satan cannot overcome? So we plead the blood of Jesus over our teenagers, over our marriages, over our communities, over our family members, over our schools, over our government. Over our nation, over this world, the blood of Jesus has overcome every sin. How many knows that the name of Jesus is a powerful weapon? And as you speak the name of Jesus, speak the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and over every life. We sing about that, don't we? When's the last time you spoke the name of Jesus? Oh, I don't know, Pastor. I'm just worrying about something. Speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Stop speaking the problem. Stop speaking the worry. Stop speaking the doubt. Stop speaking what the world says. Speak the name of Jesus. Speak the word of Jesus. Speak Jesus. Speak the blood of Jesus. Speak the presence of Jesus. Speak the authority of Jesus. Begin to praise Him. Begin to pray and fight. Fight for your families. Fight for this nation. Fight for the things that God has for us and this nation and this church and this time that we're in. No longer must we be satisfied with just holding the fort until the reinforcing heavenly cavalry shows up. Folks, we sat back and held the defensive posture for too long in the church. It's time to take back what the enemy has stolen from us. It's time to take back what the enemy has stolen from us. It's time to take back what we've actually ceded to him. Because we've just sat back. Well, I guess it's going to happen. No! Stop giving in. And see, because what will you do? What you're doing is you're saying, well, Satan's bigger. Satan's more powerful. God is not powerful. He's not in control. I can't speak the name of Jesus because Satan has convinced me that, that, that Satan's bigger. What a lie! You see, what we've done is we've fallen into this trap, this lie, this lifestyle that says, well, it's just going to happen. Yeah, prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Yeah, evil is going to get worse. Yes, Jesus is coming back. But we also have a place in that that we must fight. It's time to give Satan a black eye for a change. It's time to wreak havoc on his kingdom for a change. It's time that we wreak havoc on His kingdom for a change. Do you hear me today? Too often we sit back on the defensive. And Paul, we talked about this a few weeks ago. But why can't we 
church, step on the offensive, and instead of Satan wreaking havoc on our kingdom, that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, it feels like, and he's closing in, it's time to rise up. Say, so wait a minute. All power and authority has been given in me, in, in, living in me. It's been given to me through Christ Jesus. His name, the name of Jesus, pushes back the darkness, defeats the enemies. My praise raises up the warring angels on my behalf. In the heavenly realms, there's things going on as I praise. I speak his word. It's a two-edged sword. It's a rhema word. It's a now word. And it begins to just push back the enemy. I want to see the church here and the big C church begin to rise up and to say, listen, I'm not going to let Satan take any more of what I know belongs to God. But God has promised me my family, my children, my health, my influence in this community for his glory, whatever that is, my calling, my marriage, my, my finances, whatever. I'm going to just say, wait a minute. Satan, you, you may be out there wreaking havoc. There's a lot of people giving you place. But I, I'm calling you to notice today in the name of Jesus that I'm going to take back what I've ceded to you. What I've just sat back and just let it happen. And starting today, I'm going on the offensive. You can do it in Jesus' name. Not only can you, as a theoretical sort of idea, but you must. It's one thing saying, yeah, that's a good idea. That's, I'm going to think about it. No. Stop thinking about it. And do it. Do it. Roll up your sleeves spiritually. And say, Lord, I'm going to begin to praise you. If you're not taking notes on this, you better because you, you're, not going to, you're not going to remember these things. I'm going to praise. Just put down praise. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take God's word. I'm going to begin to declare it. His blood. I'm going to begin to just speak the blood of Jesus. So the name of Jesus. I mean, those are powerful weapons for us. And we're not using them. No wonder we're losing. No wonder we're defeated. No wonder that Satan just comes on it because he thinks, ah, if he can tell us, ah, you don't need that stuff. That's old-fashioned stuff. That ain't nothing to that. He wins because he knows that he can't fight against those things. But if, if the church becomes equipped and starts waking up and starts implementing these things and realizes, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I'm going to do this. Satan doesn't want you to do it. But in the name of Jesus, do it, church. Rise up, church. Be filled with the Spirit of God, church. And take the authority that is yours in the name of Jesus. You hear me? You take the authority that is yours in the name of Jesus. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. But don't just stop and wait for that. Say, well, I'm just going to just, just wait. You know, I got my salvation. I'm good. But things are closing in. God hasn't called us to, to sit and do nothing. He's called us to rise up and fight. We're the church. Onwards Christian soldiers. I think there's something to that. It's time to raise up a praise, church. I said it's time to raise up a praise. It's time to raise up a shout. It's time to declare God's word over something. Over someone, somewhere, somehow, it's time for us to rise up and do what we've been called to do as the church of Jesus Christ. It's time to fight. Thank you, Pastor.
God hasn't just told us to do this on our own, by the way. You realize that in his word in Ephesians, he's given us some great equipment to work with. It's called the armor of God. Oh, I need the armor of God. How about you? Put on the full armor of God. Put it on. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say if you want to. It says put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You're not going to do it otherwise. You're not going to be successful or victorious otherwise. For our struggle is not against people. Governments. The economy. All that stuff you can see that's tangible. You can kind of do something about with your hands maybe. You know, with your thinking. If you just put enough effort into it. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against rulers and, and authorities and against powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When's the last time that your body's been in the heavenly realm and able to, you know, give Satan a black eye? Your body can't do it. The atmosphere wouldn't sustain your life. But there's a spiritual realm that we can rise up into right here, right now, while we're still breathing this wonderful air that he's given us here on the good old terracotta. And, and, and we can float up there in the spiritual realm and say, okay, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, but we can't do it on our own. He's given us the spiritual armor. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. In other words, you can't do this without the full armor. Therefore, you better put it on so that when the day of evil comes, and how many believes and knows that we're in the day of evil right now, amen? You may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, you may say, well, pastor, that's just to stand here, just to stand my ground. No, no, no. Look at it again. It says that after you have done everything to then stand. In other words, we do our part and God does his. We plant water, God brings the increase. We declare God's word and he honors it. We speak the name of Jesus and demons tremble. We, you know, all those things happen as we do our part, he does his part. It says that we have a struggle against an enemy that we're engaging whether we like it or not. It's not an option. Oh, I don't want to fight Satan. I'm sorry. You already are. It's not a choice. You are. Satan is against you because you're for Christ. So you automatically put yourself at opposition to him. So you're in a battle. And so, therefore, we put on the armor. Why would we need armor if, we're, if we weren't going to use it? Amen. There's a battle. It means that we are doing something. God gives us the armor we need to engage in to win. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. I'm just going to read these things again one more time. These, these armor, uh, individual armor pieces. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. By the way, that belt holds everything else together. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So once we clothe ourselves with the armor of God, we engage. We struggle, yes. We wrestle, yes. In other words, we fight. And when we do, when we fight, listen to this, and we saw this with Joshua, or rather we saw this with Joseph, we saw this with uh, uh, Moses, we saw this with uh, Paul and Silas, we saw this with Daniel. When we fight, 
promotion takes place. You hear me? Promo How many wants to be promoted in the kingdom? Yeah? Several of us. Oh, that we would all want to be promoted in the kingdom. When we fight, promotion takes place. When we fight, chains fall off. How many need some chains to fall off in your life? Then fight. Fight for it. When we, when we fight, waters part before us. How many has an impossible thing in front of you that, that, that God needs to intervene? Is that, is that you? If that's the case, then it's time to fight. When we fight, jailhouses shake. How many feels like you're in prison with something and that jailhouse needs to be shaken? When we fight, salvations occur. How many needs to fight for somebody's salvation in your family, loved ones? How many needs to fight? How many needs people to, to be saved in your family? It's time, to, it's time to fight for it. When we fight, massive impact on our world is experienced. Do you hear me, church? It's time to fight. I heard someone say, I'm preaching, I'm preaching better than you're amen in me. <laughs> but thank you for the amens. So here's the third question that we're going to ask and answer. How are we going to get out of this mess? I'm going to ask this, the team to come up, by the way, as I wrap this up. You guys can go ahead and get in place. How are we going to get out of this mess, church? Well, here's the thing. God owns everything. You hear me? God owns everything. He's not once, nor will he ever relinquish his ownership of his creation. Psalm 24, 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is not Satan's. You hear me? The earth is not the, the president of this country or the dictator of another country or anybody else. The earth. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it is the Lord's. That car you're driving, that white house that's being lived in, that government house that's being the courthouse, all the, everything you see. Every tree, every bird, everything you can't see. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it is the Lord's. The world is the Lord's. And all who live in it belongs to the Lord. I don't know, but that sounds like he's got it all. He owns it all. His name is on the title and deed of every single thing. Seen and unseen in the universe. And what once was will be again. God's going to get all this mess fixed. God's going to do it not us. He's working on it right now. It may not seem like it. It really, it may seem like Satan's got him on the ropes. It may seem like God doesn't know what to do or that maybe God's reached his abilities, his limits to overcome. But my Bible says, my Bible says that Jesus has overcome the world. And because Jesus is in us, then also we know that God's word says that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world, which gives you, and Satan doesn't want you to hear this, he doesn't want you to believe it, but listen, listen carefully, because Jesus is in us, then greater is he that, that is in us that's in the world, therefore he gives you and me all authority. You hear me? All authority and power over Satan. Say the word all with me. All. 
That's right. Satan would have you think, well, not all. Yeah, all. Say it again. All. Say it with me. All. Say, I have all authority over Satan. Say it again. I have all authority over Satan. You know why? It's because Jesus is in you. And Jesus has the authority. So it's in the name of Jesus. It's not in the name of Brian. I dare not go to Satan and say, in the name of Brian, get out of here. He'd be like, Brian, I know. And, you know, Paul, I know. But who are you? Right? I, you got to say it in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that has conquered death, hell, and the grave. It's in his name. And he's going to help us to overcome Satan's schemes and his plans in our lives individually and in this world. And we read the end of the book and we know we win. Amen? Is Jesus going to get us out of this mess? You bet he is. You bet he is. But until then, we what? We obey. Until then, we, we trust. Until then, we stand. And until then, we fight. Jesus is coming back. He, he's going to take care of all, all of this rebellion that's going on. Don't you worry a thing about it. Don't you be distracted. Don't be drawn away by it. You stay focused on the author and the finisher of your faith. He's going to reign forever. Jesus is going to reign forever. He's going to make all things new again. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not out of control. Not for a minute, church. Our God is all-powerful. And He is almighty. And our God is in control. He always has been. He always will be. The prophecies that have already been fulfilled in God's word, assures us that the rest will also be fulfilled to the letter in God's perfect time. And as the old saying goes, it's always darkest before the dawn. And it's getting mighty dark out there. But dawn is on the way. So don't let what's going on out there fool you. God is all powerful. God is still in control. Folks, God's got this. We got into this mess because of our sin. While we're in this mess, we obey, we trust, we stand, and we fight. Because one day, and I believe it's so very soon, God is going to get us out of this mess. He's going to make all things new again. I long for that day, amen.